That's a great intro to our text today. I want to invite you to turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 52. And so today and next Sunday, we're going to be walking through the final servant song in Isaiah, where we see Jesus as this, this, this figure, the suffering servant who dies in our place. And we, we see here in, at the end of chapter 52 and throughout chapter 53 in this final servant song, we see just uh, a, a graphic depiction of our Lord's passion, of his, his suffering on our behalf, his death for our sins, his resurrection from the dead, his exaltation, it, it is all here. And we're talking today about what it means to be healed by his wounds. And so we're going to pick it up in Isaiah 52 and verse 13, and today we're going to read through verse 5 of chapter 53. This is kind of all one flowing servant song from the end of chapter 52 throughout chapter 53. Let's pick it up in verse 13 of Isaiah 52. God says, see, my servant will be successful. He will be raised and lifted up and greatly exalted, just as many were appalled at you. His appearance was so disfigured that he did not look like a man, and his form did not resemble a human being. So he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths because of him, for they will see what had not been told them and they will understand what they had not heard. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him as stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities, punishment for our peace was on him. And we are healed by his wounds. Father, as we dig into this text, which just opens up the work of your son, the servant who suffered on our behalf so clearly, we would pray that our hearts would be drawn closer to him. Lord, we pray that someone who doesn't know him would be, would be drawn to him, to know him as Savior and King. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. In early 1947, a Bedouin shepherd was tending goats uh, along the northwestern shore of the Dead Sea, and there was a goat that was lost. And so this, this shepherd picked up a, a rock and threw it into a 
cave. And instead of hearing the sound of a bleeding goat, he heard the sound of breaking pottery. And so he and another shepherd crawled into this cave and there in a a, a narrow crevice, they found eight earthenware jars, five on one side, three on the other. And inside of these earthenware jars, there were what looked to them like leather bundles. It was the Dead Sea Scrolls, the first part of them. There would be other caves as well in that same area and more scrolls. But on this particular day, they found the oldest complete copy of the book of Isaiah. In fact, it was not just the oldest. It was the oldest by over a thousand years. And it had been well preserved for 2,000 years. It was a miracle. But consider the miracle of the words of the book of Isaiah. For instance, the prophecy that we're going to look at today and next week, which tells us so clearly about the work of Christ, his his sinless life, and the fact that he died and suffered for our sins and his resurrection and his his exaltation. This prophecy was, was written over 700 years before Jesus was even born. Our God is a a miracle-working God. And and in this text, we see the greatest miracle of all and the greatest love of all. So let's dig into it. What do we see here? First of all, we see the suffering and exaltation of the servant. The suffering and exaltation of the servant. Let's pick it up. At 52 and verse 13, God says, see, your your translation may say, behold. But, But the word here at the beginning of verse 13, it means watch this. Listen up. Pay attention. Pay attention as if your eternity is, is, is hanging on it, because it is. God says, behold, see, watch this. My servant will be successful. He will be raised and lifted up and greatly exalted. So here at the beginning of this final servant song, God tells us about the end result that this servant who will suffer on our behalf will be raised and exalted in the end. You know, many gospel presentations don't even include much about the resurrection (laughs) And, and, and nothing about Christ's ascension and exaltation as king. But when the early believers told the story of the work of Christ, they talked about it from beginning to end. Like it was all in, in encompassing. See a beautiful example of that in Philippians 2, 
which is sort of like an early Christian creed or maybe a praise song, maybe both. It's clearly something they would memorize. Listen to this. Paul says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited, Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. Taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That means that your knee will bow, your tongue will confess And that will either be the greatest moment of your life or the worst moment of your life because your knee will be bowing and your tongue will be confessing either to your savior or to your judge. Christ can be your savior. Repent, turn to him, trust in his finished work for you, his death for your sins, his resurrection from 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 the dead. Give your life, give your allegiance to this king who is exalted and and who will return to judge the living and the dead. Look at verse 14 of Isaiah 52. Just as many were appalled at you, his appearance was so disfigured that he did not look like a man and his form did not resemble a human being. You know, most of us, recoil at horrible wounds. Nurses and doctors are a notable and and, and wonderful exception to that. Uh, Thank God for the special gifts that he's given to to, to nurses and and, and doctors um, who are used to looking at horrible wounds. But for most of us, it's something that we recoil from and it's something that we turn away from something that we're appalled by. And after his arrest, Jesus was subjected to so much torture, so many beatings, floggings, that he, he no longer looked like a man, like a human being. The great Old Testament scholar, Alec Motier, said this, he experienced disfigurement so that those who saw him stepped back in horror, not only saying, is this the servant, but is this human? But here we see the the first and not the last irony that we will see in this servant song. And that is that the one whose wounds were so horrible and so gross will be the one who will cleanse, cleanse nations. Verse 15, so he will sprinkle, and the, idea, the word there kind of has, carries the meaning of cleanse. He will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths because of him, for they will see 
what had not been told them and they will understand what they had not heard. And here again, as we do throughout the book of Isaiah, we see God's massive missionary heart. God's heart for the nations. God's heart for people to to hear the gospel who have not heard, who have not understood. And so Paul, in Romans 15, as he talks about his passion to get the gospel to the nations, he is going to quote from Isaiah 52, 15. He says, my aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named so that I will not build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. According to the International Mission Board, there are still over 3,100 people groups on this earth who are not only unreached, but unengaged with the gospel. There there is no one among these people who is telling the, the story, who is telling the good news. Brothers and sisters, it should not be. It should not be. But every time that you give through our church, you were giving so that missionaries can reduce that number from 3150 to zero. That, that, that all will hear this good news. That is God's passion. That is his heart that the nations will know. The second thing that we see here in this final servant song is the rejection of the servant. The rejection of the servant. It begins in 53 in verse 1. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So the arm of the Lord is his strength. It is his power. But, but God is going to, to bear forth his arm and show his power in a way that no one expected through his son who would come as a servant. And not just a servant, but a servant who would suffer. That's not what they expected. And so they didn't believe it. John is going to quote Isaiah 53, 1, as he talks about the unbelief that that Jesus experienced when he came. Even though he had performed so many signs in their presence, they did not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet who said, Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Why didn't they believe? Because Jesus did not match their expectations. They, like so many people today, were looking for a political Messiah who would restore their national greatness, not a suffering servant. And so they didn't believe. Look at verse two. He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. I spent part of one afternoon this week 
going around toward the edge of our, 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 our property where it's kind of, kind of wooded and, 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 and uh, clipping, clipping off like young shoots, you know, these little shoots that come out near larger trees. And that's among yard jobs, that's a super easy one. Right? All you need is a sharp pair of pruning shears. I mean, because they're just like little, they're little saplings, little shoots that come up and you just, and they're gone. They're insignificant. And that's the way that Jesus appeared. He, the word here that's translated as young plant, it's like it just means like one of these shoots, one of these tender shoots that come up. They're insignificant. You just, they're gone. That's, Jesus appeared like that on the outside. And then, and then the second image that he gives here is that he was like a root out of dry ground. In other words, like a, a little plant that's on parched ground that's, struggling for life, but its survival is very much in doubt. Again, something that appears like so insignificant. That's the way that Jesus uh, appeared to, to, to people because he, he comes as just another poor baby born to incredibly poor parents so lacking in connections, so lacking in, in any influence that they can't even secure a room for the baby to be born in. Like he has to be born outside in a pen, a stable for animals. And then Jesus is, is raised in backwater Nazareth, this little town in the middle of nowhere that nobody had heard of it. And the ones who had heard of it made fun of it. There was nothing on the outside. There was not, there's no fame or he wasn't one of the beautiful people or uh, you know, one who he, there's no political connections or military connections or power none of that and so people just they he seems so so insignificant old testament scholar john oswald says this our eyes are caught and satisfied by superficial splendor. This man will have none of that. And as a result, our eyes flicker across him in a crowd and we do not even see him. His splendor is not on the surface and those who have no inclination to look beyond the surface will never even see him, much less pay him any attention. Most people then and now are are looking for shallow solutions, <laughs> shallow saviors. If Jesus were on social media today, he wouldn't have many followers. Verse three, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Now, twice in verse three, you see the word despised. But the way that we use despised in English is different than this Hebrew word that's translated as despised. When we use the word despised in our culture, it carries a lot of emotional uh, baggage with it. When we talk about despising something, we, we mean we loathe that, like we hate that. That's kind of not what this word be. This word is more like dismissed. 
people didn't even think enough of Jesus to, 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 to loathe him so much. They just, just, most people just dismissed him. They just dissed him, dismissed him. Because he, he appeared so, so insignificant to them. He, he wasn't, you know, he didn't care. He wasn't a, you know, uh, someone that kind of had these powerful connections, a celebrity or whatever. And so he was, just seemed like one of the losers in life that people ignore. You know, there's a reason why a lot of people in the past week in our country heard that Lady Gaga's dogs had been temporarily lost and found and why little kids who were caught in the crossfire and killed in a bad neighborhood in one of the cities of our country, people heard nothing about them. Even people in their own city heard nothing about their death. And that's because they're people that are just easily dismissed. Not celebrities, no connections. That was Jesus. That was Jesus. And so he was rejected. The third thing that we see here is the substitution of the servant. The substitution of the servant. Verses four and five. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him as stricken struck down by God and afflicted, but he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities, punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. So in the ancient world, when, when bad things happened to people, some illness or tragedy or whatever, it was just assumed that it was happening to them because they had done something wrong. Now we like to think that we're beyond this, but we're really not. I mean, so, so often uh, those of us who were born with lots of privileges when you know, we, 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 we can so easily look upon people who were born with a lot of strikes against them in life because of where they're born or the circumstances that they were born into, and, you know, without even verbalizing it, we can kind of think, ah, oh, you know, they're in that situation. Somehow, somehow it's because of their own doing. That, that was the assumption with Jesus. People saw his suffering and they thought, it's because of something he's done. It's because of his sin. And, and here, there's, there's another irony here of this song. It was because of sin. His suffering was because of sin. But it wasn't his sin. It was all about our sin. It was for us. It was all for us. And this is a shock here that we see in verses four and five. People looked at the suffering of, of Christ and they said, oh, you know, he's stricken by God. He's struck down by God. It's something that he's done. No, it was about what we've done. It was all about us. He was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. It was about what we've done. 
Again, John Oswald says so powerfully, the prophet conveys the shock of those who are secure in their own ability to handle the affairs of their lives when they discover that what they understood to be the well-deserved misfortunes of another were really their own. (laughs) When they discover that they need a savior, the weakness and illness that made us think so little of him, it is our weakness and illness. The very things that made us think him of no account are the things for which we ought to honor him because it is for our sake that he is enduring them. And listen, Jesus suffers and dies not just as a result of our sins, but in our place. In our place, there's a substitution that is happening. Look at verse four, look at the language here of bearing. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses. Most of all, the sickness of our sin, as Peter is gonna pick up on in 1 Peter 2 and verse 24, says he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died of sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Look at the language here of carrying in verse four. He, he carried our pains. And this, this, this goes back to Leviticus where the scapegoat, the sacrifice, the, the, the scapegoat, the scapegoat uh, symbolically has the, the, the sins of the offerer transferred to, or transferred to this animal who is then let go in the wilderness to, to, to go off and die and, and, and kind of carry away the sins of the one making the offering. But the scapegoat died not merely because the offerer sinned, but in the offerer's place. Again, look at the word stricken here. In verse four, we in turn regarded him as stricken, struck down by God. So the word stricken here was was used when people suffered some misfortune, you know, some sudden tragedy that happens to them. They're regarded as stricken. Think of Job. What happens when all of these terrible things happen to Job's family? What do people assume about him? What do even Job's Friends, assume. What has he done to deserve this? And people looked at the suffering of Christ and they asked that question. What did he do to deserve this? When the real question was, what did we do? How heinous, how vile are our own sins? that this had to happen to him. In 1633, Rembrandt painted the raising of the cross. And in this depiction of the crucifixion, you can, you can see sort of a, a beam of light that is coming down on, on Jesus and you see his suffering there on the cross. But, but notice that also included within this beam of light 
is this figure at the feet of Christ who's wearing a blue painter's beret. It's a self-portrait of Rembrandt. He, he is saying, it was my sins that put him there. It was me that was helping to raise the cross. It was all for us. Jesus died not because of his sins, because he had none. It was for ours. He bore our sicknesses. He carried our pains. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our iniquities, and by his wounds we are healed. Father, we thank you for the ultimate healing that happens through Jesus. How we thank you for his work. Thank you for your selfless love and giving your son. And Father, we pray that anyone who is within the hearing of this message that is not in Christ would repent of sin and turn to Jesus. We know that there is a, an open door of love, just as there are open wounds of love inviting us to come and experience our ultimate healing in him. We pray that for those of us who are in Christ, that you would draw us closer to you as we think about his love. May we more and more be a people who are passionate for the gospel, loving Christ and loving to share the good news about him with a lost and needy world. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen.